Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Firetech Roundup Roundup, where this week we'll be looking at the tech news from week beginning the 18th of October. Um, and everything we're going to cover today was uh, first referenced in the Firetech Roundup episode 90, which this week was hosted by Louise Fenn. Uh, today your hosts are Eloisa Tovey, that's myself, and we've also got Andy Tebb. Hello. Um, and we will be kind of walking through the news pieces that came up, talking a little bit more about why we're finding them, finding them interesting, um, and hopefully, yeah, creating a bit more of a conversation around the pieces of news. Uh, so first up, we've got um, Linux. The Linux Foundation is introducing a new DevOps bootcamp. Uh, this is to try and combat the increasing demand for DevOps practices. Um, and the company believed that it's essential to train the next generation in talents with the best DevOps skills. And I actually found a little bit of a stat um, that DevOps is used by 88% of technology professionals who work with open source. Um, that's actually came from a Linux 2021 jobs report. Um, and so I think obviously for them, it's invaluable to be able to kind of pass on these talents and new skills to the next generation. Um, they partnered with the Continuous Delivery Foundation, which is actually an initiative they launched in 2019, um, and hope that the bootcamp will allow existing professionals to update their skills and give more opportunities to young talents. Sounds very exciting. Very. I mean, I assume there's a credit they forgot to put in where they basically said, we've decided to model this on ECS's academy. But, <laughs> um, yeah. but, but no, I think... I think it's a great initiative. Um, it's interesting, though, where you're starting to see this kind of stuff coming through. I think there's um, some of the players doing this kind of thing. I mean, um, that we are getting to a point in the industry where the skill shortage is actually starting to hamper innovation, not take a product. So you're, you're starting to see product vendors launch this kind of initiative because I know Linux have me on. Um, but but you're starting to see product vendors uh, starting to launch this kind of initiative because it's slowing down the uptake of their products. I mean, that's how acute it's becoming. Um, yeah, but great, great initiative. It was really interesting to look at the kinds of people doing it, um, you know, whether pitching it at DevOps skills, SRE skills, CICD skills, DevSecOps, and we're kind of there going, so a modern engineer then. Because for <laughs> yeah. us, that's one thing. Um, yeah. But, you know, that that is... That, it, that again kind of represents the um the the evolution of what we think of as those roles you know we we would talk about taking system administrators and stuff and enabling them to be modern engineers uh the kinds of backgrounds that they were talking about in terms of devs devops people sres bringing them into this and, and try it really looked like they were trying to make them more rounded individuals but um yeah interesting interesting that they're championing it probably got less of a biased view on things than um, some of the other providers. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and I think you raise a really good point that actually we're starting to see through uh, like full fruition of the skill shortage and the fact that, you know, the Linux Foundation was set back set up in 2000, 2000 mm. um, to basically start looking at how they can um, grow and sustain projects in broad and growing CD ecosystems. And what they're saying is like there's just not enough people now to man the open source communities and projects that we look to kind of protect um so actually we now need to extend that and actually into the training of these people so we can continue with the projects and initiatives that we set up so it is a very interesting um again i think we're going to start seeing more of this at the moment obviously linux is a foundation who did this anyway mm. um, and so you rightly mentioned the academy um, at ecs so i think we're obviously hopefully one of the first to the punch um in doing this sort of stuff but i don't think we're going to be the last and i'm again i read this really interesting thing doing some research 
into a report we've done actually and one of the things came out that it doesn't matter which industry you're in now you're no longer looking for skills within your industry you're now competing for skills across the board because everyone is a tech company and that doesn't matter what you're selling if that's a product or a service um you're slowing down the innovation or the pace at which you can move if you don't have the talent in to help kind of with the manpower so yeah i mean we've we've always had this ethos of you know try and enrich the industry generally um Obviously, there's never one factor at play, but things like the DevOps Playground represent things that are rewarding and giving back to the industry. You know, anyone can come in, anyone can take advantage of our expertise. But, you know, we we were, we've always outstripped the industry in terms of growth, and that required us to look at solutions like the academy, partnerships with universities, that kind of thing, to fill yeah. our skills gap, you know, as well as hiring out from uh, the market more broadly. And that's also what's driven, in some ways, our enablement agenda. I'd say that's gone alongside our, you know, keenness to give back and to teach and to bring people up and along the way. It's the fact that we don't have the scale to do it all ourselves. And to be honest, I don't think anyone does now. You know, I, I was talking to one of the big GSIs. We, we've got a hiring gap at the moment. We've done a lot to catch up this, this year, but we're still carrying a hiring gap of, I think, 33, which is significantly less than it was. So it's yeah. one of the GSIs. They've got a hiring gap of 3,000 just in Europe. Oh my God. It, yeah, so no one has those skills to go, yes, I will take your IT shop off you. And they're starting to be that. Uh, acknowledgement that actually enabling a client staff would be a good thing because yeah. there's a lot of work there that you really want to skill people up on. Um, so we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But I think there is a, it's become such a crunch point that I think there is starting to be a mind shift change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the important things here is to note you're not just training people up in to kind of have the skills to hand, you're also making sure that you've got best practices written down, you've got guidelines which are available, yeah. you're going to have training material that can be scaled and shared. So it's not. It is as much about the hands-on experience that you can give to an individual, but also making sure that all the relevant work around that is available to the community so everyone can continue growing at this, like their own pace. And learning being continuous. And I think if, if you're... And that's great. Us as individuals have to do that. And it, it but it, but it's, it's one of those things that's, you know, more broadly a problem, you know, society and stuff. But certainly in the tech industry, is, yeah. you know, you've got, yeah, you've got to continuously learn and improve. But increasingly with this skill shortage that, to be honest, I don't think in tech it's going to go away. Because like you say, if you're, if you're broadening the number of companies that view themselves as tech companies, that's, that's a larger and larger hole that, resource has to fill and that's not going to go away where the pandemic eases and if that's the case you need to be thinking about what makes you a compelling employer and doing the kinds of things we do in terms of allocating time for training yeah. regularly yeah. is the kind of thing employees are going to start wanting to say yeah well you're, you know we're looking at the great resignation at the moment and what was super interesting about reading about that is it's not just small firms who are getting affected by this the big tech giants are also so like google's and mm. the facebook's um they are seeing people leave the door when they're not being given kind of the advantages that they experienced over lockdown or the pandemic. And I think what's really interesting about this is no one's safe from the skill shortage. And I said, it's not just an individual's responsibility to upskill this. It's very much on the business now and their owners to make sure that they are providing the infrastructure to make sure that this kind of upskilling is available. Um, yeah, it's very much a, a societal problem. Um, so, yeah, it's passing straight on to the individual and only the individuals is on yeah. there. And there, there is actually a question of going, is it a problem? I mean, like, for me, you know, I'm kind of like Gen X, but slightly more 
um, corporate than a lot of my contemporaries. But I would work at places uh, like Barclays, for example, because the brand was kind of cool and the work felt important and interesting. Um, Sort of my millennial and Gen Z colleagues are a lot more hard-nosed. Like, I don't care about the cachet of being a consultant. This is building my CV. And then I will go take a job somewhere like, I don't know, Moonpig, you know, PetSmart, something like that. I don't really care. They yeah. they want they want a job that pays well where the work itself is kind of interesting. They don't really care about the cash share of the brand. They haven't got that same ego involved, and they know just as well that the company will get rid of them if times are hard. So why should they show the same loyalty? And that can be difficult. And and you know people like myself and older generations might find that a strange way to think. But you're like actually it's quite hard nosed, and it's the kind of thing you talk about. But these guys will judge this very dispassionately. So you need to put a good offer on the table. You can only rely on loyalty so much. I'm not saying that they're very mercenary, but yeah. they, they, they've they grown up and come up in a world that has not treated them well. Why would they show any sense of altruism towards companies? So you yeah. need to do better. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I'd summarise, it's almost the, the, the kind of generations coming through now are less about loyalty to long-standing brands mm. because I think in our lifetime things have been so fast paced that we're used to things coming and going um so actually i think as you said it would jump on things which are interesting to us and perhaps serve a purpose like a wider purpose um mm-hmm. in society versus we've been around for 350 years and we're like that that just doesn't interest us anymore whereas back in the day there would have been security but today we're much more likely to gamble and just kind of jump back into the talent pool and, and hope that someone else will pick us back up again and again i think in talent right now why wouldn't you think that if you are in such a high demand as you are you're yep. very much um, in your golden days, right? So why wouldn't you abuse that and kind of explore what's out there and see what interest in um, and like projects you can jump onto? So yeah, and they're not they're not they are lucky to an extent, but they're not massively lucky. It takes a lot of hard work to be that good, yeah. and that sometimes gets underestimated. You know, as, there's a lot of hard work that goes into that. And to be honest, anyone can do it. I think our oldest academy graduate was in their fifties. Oh, wow. You know, you, you can do that at any point. You can choose to pivot your career and become those guys, but it's hard work. Absolutely. And I think I'm going to leave this um, topic one uh, on, on this question of just like, again, I think there has to be an oversight then of just whilst we're trying to fill this skill gap, making sure that the the skill itself doesn't get undermined. So making sure that the quality of skill coming through remains you know, as it always has, important and um, of value versus just trying to get people through the door who can do a couple of lines of code, which obviously isn't the same. So making sure that we're building full-rounded engineers rather than just pushing people through the door because we need. I I, I genuinely have a different view on that. We should discuss wow. that. We should discuss that another day. We won't have time for it. Yeah. This, but <laughs> my, my alternative view is just very quickly that we as an industry have sometimes screwed up what we think small teams are so we should okay. we should run small teams and that's great yeah um but inexperienced and slightly naive and not the cleverest managers in the world have this thing where they hate dependencies they don't yeah. they don't realize they're just gonna happen you need dependencies they want all the skills in the room so it's like how can i get all the skills in the room but in eight people and and they they end up requiring these full stack engineers our guys are ninjas and we, we charge a premium for that, and they're there with you not for a long time. There's a yeah. lot of companies out there who, for their day-to-day work, want people who can do, like, everything in the universe. You know, it must be a full-stack developer, experience the test automation, ride a unicycle, play the trombone, 
and do it all in Portuguese. Go find me that person. You're like, but you don't need all that. So I know that's a gross oversimplification of what you were saying, but I think we need to start looking at democratising kind of sort of taking the every IT person doesn't need to be premier. There needs to be fans need drummers. They don't all need to be lead singers, right? Look at how you're structuring your work. So that, yeah, so that you don't need that full complexity of, of uh, skills. Yeah, but maybe we're violently agreeing, but yeah. I completely, I completely agree 100% with everything you just said, and I retract or um, my <laughs> second comment. Maybe well, I, I misunderstood. Yeah. How do we ensure quality over quantity? And I yeah. think that's the problem. But actually, with me saying everyone needs to be a, a all-rounded engineer, mm. 100% agree with you. Actually, that's not always important. And actually just making sure that whichever area of technology you go into, you've got that base level of expertise to make sure that, again, we're not just compromising on quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to put out a half-assed product. There we go. You might end up having to change the name of your company. Oh, I've skipped ahead. <laughs> oh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's read out the headline before we jump into it. Uh, Facebook are investing in the EU and are considering a rebrand uh, with the hope to hire 10,000 engineers within the EU to work on Metaverse, which is set to be an online world where people can gain work and communicate in a virtual environment, often using VR headsets. For me, this feels very much like uh, Ready Player One and obviously mm. jumping over into the Oasis. Is, that, is it naive for Facebook to go, we will hire 10,000 people? It's like, are there 10,000 people to be hired and plucked kind of from the EU ready to go? Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, absolutely. And it just feels hilarious that obviously the conversation we've literally just had about everyone's trying to get people. And so just it's just hilarious that Facebook are like, yay, not only with the baddies in the news at the moment, but also we're just going to play a little pipe and... Uh, all these 10,000 people are going to... Yeah, we, we'd like to move... You know, maybe they will. They've got a lot of money to throw around, possibly. But, um, you know, would I work Facebook if they gave me a boatload of cash? Maybe. Yeah. You know, I'm not... I, I, there's limits on my principles if it's going to let me claim a mortgage. But... You heard it here first. <laughs> I, I don't think that will come as a surprise to anyone who's ever worked with me. But, um, but you know, I mean, fundamentally, they're, they're moving out of their um, traditional market, which is a very different employment market. And they're coming to, at scale, they're already in Europe, but they're coming in scale to the European Union, which is probably characterised more as a social democracy than the US. And they're basically saying, come work for us at scale. Well, you know, Facebook's got a pretty toxic reputation in the US at the moment. It's, it's probably perceived worse in Europe. Um, so, you know, yeah, can you, can you, can you find the talent? First of all, as you say, is that talent one going to come and work for you? Yeah. You know, I would argue, you know, they're going to pay a premium to get that done. I know they probably don't want to hear it when you're inside a company looking out and you know all the intricacies of what goes on and the great work people do for things like charity and how nice a guy is sat next to me in the cube. You don't want to, you don't want to hear that, but it's a pretty toxic brand at the moment. Do you want to go work for it? Well, possibly not. So interesting to see if they hit that as for the metaverse great interesting concept kind of feel they might have finally got it right there because you know technology is catching up it's for the first time games on vr are actually useful we're not kind of doing that thing where we're trying to make haptics work on uh, you know just so badly over the years with consoles but actually vr kind of works now you know i i brought the vr out at last night at the cheese and wine and that was fun for people to play with kind of yeah. works and it's portable and it's not so expensive that i'm worried someone's going to step on it or something but Absolutely. and you'd argue actually well facebook made sure that the oculus yeah. um, was one of the cheapest available Absolutely. on the market so like you know yeah. they're not 
not silly here. And I think that like NFTs have obviously made this much more viable with mm. regards to tracking digital ownership. But also it should be remembered that Facebook aren't the only ones doing this. Nope. Epic Games have started kind of put like laying the groundwork, the groundwork, the groundwork for their own um, metaverse aspirations. Yep. And that's going down well. And I think for what's interesting about Facebook is they're trying to move it away from gaming. Right. And because of Epic Games, obviously that's where they live. But then Facebook's got the opposite problem of trying to move it away from social media. And so I think the two companies are obviously trying to create something for the future, which I think rightly just said is where we're moving towards but in a way that allows it to expand beyond what the companies are known for yeah i i i always have this view that I th- I, for for our customers and in our industry maybe a good example would be open banking right but um you know you regulatory requirements to do open banking so you create all these api gateways so everything can talk to each other you know it's, bit of an oversimplification they they're not great on setting industry-wide standards so some can talk to some but um that's getting better now but that's changed the mindset um so even financial services companies that aren't covered by that regulation are now having to get into a world where they've got exposed apis because you look at product aggregators like i use so i use products like snoop to and in the old days before they think recently gone out of business yolt uh had that that capability to show all your accounts in one place well if i've got an investment products account like Hargreaves lansdowne or charles stanley they don't have to do it but we're increasingly saying why don't you do it so i can see all my money in one place now that's not something that was originally considered by the architects i think if someone like facebook wants to move this concept on rather than saying we've created workplace where you can come and meet i don't want to do a meeting in vr you know i mean but that's just me individually but 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 maybe some people do i i i mean i don't know why you would but anyway the but the point is though maybe it's better to actually just have an open architecture and framework that when someone does have a good idea they can interface with it well the problem is there you've got to take that leap of faith and not need that control and facebook doesn't strike me as a company that's comfortable giving up control at the moment you say that, I, and I would completely agree with you. The history would suggest that, but actually, they've invested fifty million dollars so far into non-profit groups to help build the metaverse responsibly. Is what they said. The word. Did you uh, know? Did you know? Tobacco companies once launched a campaign for thirty million dollars to get kids to stop smoking. Fine, fine. It's great PR. It's great <laughs> PR, right? It's like in in the concept in, in the scale of Facebook's revenue. Quite crushed with a cigar. <laughs> but in, the, in the scale of Facebook's revenue, being able to say we spent fifty million dollars, so we're going to develop this responsibly. You're like, cool. What's responsibly? Yeah, like they can't tell you. I just said again that, and like no one can see, but there was little bunny quotes there of the word responsibly yeah. because obviously we've seen Facebook's track record. But I think if there are other engineers kind of building this if it's in eu territory versus us territory will that have an influence i did read an amazing quote on this which was we're we're going to the eu because we want other perspectives we don't want to sort of build in bias and you're like right so you're going to the other first world white <laughs> predominantly white continent for but your alternative perspective yeah, forget some cheese and wine so you know I, I don't know it was just like that's amazing it's like probably the least <laughs> diverse diverse option you could have gone for i mean in fairness i am very cynical when it comes to this company but, but and then, they've been kicked out of china right so it's not like they could go knocking on china's door well indeed indeed, <laughs> indeed. well maybe if they did they won't get kicked out you know here's some investment that's not in real estate um but but yeah i mean and then the name change is just like i mean it just it 
just has this energy, doesn't it? Of just like, you know, when they painted that car to uh, in rainbow colors to help support LGBT. So wonderful, brilliant. Yeah. Anything concrete that you're gonna be doing, any kind of initiatives you're putting into place here? No, you've done some bad stuff, we're just gonna change our name. It's like, it doesn't answer any of the problems which should come in the news. And it kind of feels like it's a vanity project, which isn't gonna have yeah. any benefits to society, so. They're, they're one of the big four tech companies, right? Like the big, the, the so-called four horsemen, they are, you know, there's them, there's Google, there's Apple, there's Amazon. They're the guys, right? They're the they're the superpowers of the 21st century. And it's equal parts disturbing and encouraging to see how cack-handed they are at this stuff. I just I I think I think there's a point where at which they're gonna have to ask themselves some really fundamental questions and address those issues. And it generally that kind of thing starts with changing the CEO. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what the board does around this. Um, you know, those big companies, they've all had a change of CEO. In the case of Apple, not necessarily planned, but they've all changed the CEOs and they've all changed their footing to become more established companies. And Facebook's the last one that doesn't. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they do there. But yeah, it was just kind of like, it, it just screamed more desperation. It became more of a story rather than, like just maybe settle down for a bit and address some internal stuff. Absolutely. But, yeah. but name isn't the problem here. <laughs> no. So no. What, is, what is great about it, so it's going to be revealed at Facebook's annual Connect conference on the 28th of October. So sadly, you don't have the name to hand. However, Twitter did provide some uh, suggestions, which... Oh, oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so some are slightly more sensible, I think, based on this metaverse. So you've got Openverse, you've got Horizon, um, and then you're... Probably who spent the time in their life to put that down? Like, genuinely, I've got a great idea. I mean, one was Ecoverse as well, but I don't think playing on an eco-friendly no. is really where to go. Um, and then my favourite, we got Zuckplex. <laughs> um, but obviously, that's not going to live long if we're looking at a CEO rotation. And then the best one is just Facepalm. So, uh, Facepalm, brilliant. I mean, there are some of these that I, <laughs> I kind of, I think I could probably guess the commentator who came up. But anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Facebook, let's uh let's let's see how it goes. I know no matter how bad your day is somewhere like Apple, you must just go, hey, at least we're not Facebook. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um talking about apples, we are now moving into checkout free stores in the UK. So mm. supermarket giant Tesco's launched its first checkout free get go store in London. Uh, the FTSE 100 company is working with Trigo, who builds AI-powered products for retail stores to introduce cameras and weight sensors. That means that you can kind of see what people are buying um, and help the retail calculate the bill about any means of any kind of like people or tilts. Mm -hmm. It does mean you have to access the application, which is obviously a very clever way to get people's data. Um, and I think it's in full swing at the moment. People are obviously using it at the moment. Some people have suggested the experience feels like shoplifting. I don't think that's necessarily a good feeling to try and pump into society um but yeah it seems to be obviously following amazon's footsteps this is the future of of retail and another question do we need it and it sounds like a silly thing to say and i know that we're looking forward into a kind of automated well automated future but for me it just kind of feels like it's not yes great it's a step that we can take mm. but is it solving a problem i'm not really sure it does it's an answer to amazon isn't it it's um kind of architecturally i've got some sympathy with the approach you know i mean i'm not heavily invested really because i don't massively like either company i i actually think amazon have done some really interesting stuff for the world 
uh, and I enjoy the amount of money they apply on to R and D, even to prove ideas don't work. Um, just, just you know, to help the industry really. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Tesco, I got my own problems with those. Massive fan of big companies, mate. Um, <laughs> so you know, it, it, it's a I'm able to look at this quite dispassionately. But you know, I mean, Tesco ultimately have really good. Uh, inbuilt instinctive knowledge they've kind of got the muscle memory and reflex of understanding what in-person retail looks like um you know because there's a lot of stuff there about choosing where you put your stores about um last mile logistics at that kind of scale um understanding what staffing looks like because checkout is like tiny amount of the staff in the stores in terms of keeping things stocks keeping those buildings running all that kind of stuff so they've got some really good instincts and knowledge around how to do that in-person retail and what they've done quite rightly in my view is say if we want this kind of option let's not build it let's just white label it so they partnered so well done them yeah absolutely why reinvent the wheel let's do this the the it'll be interesting i think the problem they're solving is the lunchtime rush hour the, the problem they're solving is when you've got 10 minutes and you need something, you don't want to be stood in a massive queue because it's, you know, it, you just got X number of chat self-checkout tools and for some reason three quarters of them marked off topic because they've only got one person to run around after people. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I can see there is a use case. I don't think it will necessarily hurt staff particularly badly. I think staff numbers will probably stay the same. Um, but, it'll, but it'll help you with those peaks and troughs. Um ultimately amazon's coming for everyone's lunch though so you know they're because they 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 have no ego when they enter a market they are willing to learn from everyone yeah um that's no bad thing that is no bad thing no bad thing but it's terrifying to go up against um yeah and you know we work with we, we we work with any cloud provider but aws is our preference and that's for a reason you know their products are generally the best they have no ego. They will work hard to make it better every day. When they're number one, their biggest question is, how can we be more number one? But also, they innovate for themselves first, yeah. right? There's a real, their heart is in it. They want it to work. They need it to work yeah. better than anyone else's so they can become a better company than anyone else's. And then they sell it on and make it available to their customers. Yeah. So it's, it's a very sensible way around in the sense yeah. that you're putting your own money on the line to basically invest back into yourself and as you said sometimes the r&d doesn't pay doesn't pay off but actually it does in the long run because yeah. you're understanding what works and what doesn't work and that's yeah, they, they back a hundred horses for the one that's going to go over the line yeah um and it can be utterly exhausting to work with because it's never good enough but it is the mantra we work with you know figure it out then do it then do it better then do it better forever they live yeah. that so you have to get into that mindset if you want to compete with them so let's see how Tesco do. <laughs> Every little helps. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean, the UK retail market is a tough one for anyone to come into. Lots of people come in here, like, with big ideas, people like Walmart, and that they go home with a sad story to tell because it is a tough market to compete in. Um, so let's see how it goes. There's a reason Tesco, Sainsbury's, those guys are established players. They are very, very good at what they do. This will be interesting as it unfolds. Hopefully, it will bring benefits to us as consumers. Yeah, and I think also it's, it's interesting because it? we're looking at the kind of the bigger supermarket giants here. Um, and I know Lidl obviously falls into that and says so Aldi, but these, mm. you know, are those sorts of supermarkets going to be able to compete on this level and be able to put the same investment into technology and yeah. 
that kind of automated future. But again, they've, they've all got their different propositions and placements. It's, it's really interesting. Like in the US, you know, like Walmart, Amazon have devastated them. Costco continues to thrive. Yeah. And it's like, what's that model? Is it the big box? Is it the reduced number of products? Is it the membership and loyalty scheme? Like, what is your business model? What is that differentiator? You can go on YouTube and it's a far more wholesome you know, rabbit hole to disappear down than the one that ends up on anti-backs. But you can watch a whole series of videos about why why some people survive versus others. It is genuinely an interesting topic if you're the kind of person who nerds out like I do on this kind of business model stuff. But this will be interesting. I think, yeah, I think it's a good, healthy response and they're doing it in the right way. They, they, they partnered with someone to do the bit they don't know about. Well done. Good attitude. Don't build your own partner up get white labeling um it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out yeah absolutely mm. um moving on to number four so we're now looking at investment into farming tech uh, the department for environment food and rural affairs and uk research and innovation are partners to launch a funding program aimed at driving the adoption of innovative technology in the agriculture sector try saying that 10 times in a row after a glass of wine um they will make 17.5 million pounds available for the first round of the free funds and have already opened applications for the initiative um some of these have been brilliant i've seen a few of them on the news in terms of like tomato pickers that are basically just a robotic can that goes in can have a bit of a squeeze of the fruit and then work out kind of what what's available um, and what should go down it almost feels like the squirrels from um, willy wonka you know just having your little nut sauces and uh, throwing the bad ones down the i shoot. do i do i do um I'm sure there's some sort of metaphor about pickers and umpa-lumpers, but yeah. Because, <laughs> well, you know, this I read this and it did feel like a problem wandering around looking for a solution. I mean, they're, they're looking for ways of using technology and investment to reduce the need for farming subsidies. Um, th- there's an argument going on in europe at the moment about should subsidies be redirected say let's keep the budget where it is because it's very difficult to reduce that budget given the way that voting works you know any one state can say no despite what we were told any one state can reject that kind of change um so keep the budget where it is but use those subsidies to promote good environmental activity so turning fields over to rewilding you know uh increasing forests to stop flooding that kind of thing um we're in a position now where we need to reduce subsidies because we don't we no longer have that budget that is not going to come from the european union anymore how do you do that and what do you do with it is a big question at the moment that that reduced subsidies is going to coincide with a massive labor shortage that we're seeing at the moment do we need robots and innovation to tell us when to harvest a crop I would argue we don't. Farmers are very good at that. You know, it's very few farmers who don't know when to harvest their crop. It's the bodies to do it. You want to you wanna get machines out there that can harvest. You do what you want, but this is seasonal labour. Are you going to invest in a piece of capital that you've got to keep all year and maintain when actually you used to be able to bring in seasonal workers to do that very quickly and very effectively mm-hmm. from somewhere else? It does feel like we're not willing to admit the problem and we're saying, actually, this is an opportunity. Now, I, I've, I've made a massive living as a consultant off of turning problems into opportunities. Some are easier to do than others, and a very few are just problems. Yeah. Maybe look at a fix for that rather than the opportunity. 
it is yeah 17 and a half million did not feel like enough it felt like they were pursuing the wrong things and generally the civil service are good at picking tech projects and investment governmental leadership over the last couple of years has not been good at picking that kind of thing so it's, yeah i i worry about this story it feels like a sticking plaster but yeah i may be in a cynical mood today no 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 no, no. Yeah. it's super interesting and i think again people go woohoo we've got a narrow robotic arm that can let us know the size and optimal picking time as you said you know that's that's something we very much look at our farmers to be able to do but it's something that they know very well mm. um but also it's such a small part of that food chain or that supply chain of getting food to a plate and i feel that great if you can pick things a bit quicker but you still need to have the infrastructure to make sure the food that you picked half a day quicker or a day quicker can get to a table a day earlier and obviously you then need to start looking at how you're shipping them in terms of the containers that they've been shipped in to make sure the ripeness stays okay making sure that there's enough lorry drivers to to do the driving for you making sure that those lorries are refrigerated well enough to make sure the food doesn't go off and all these things and waste food waste i mean there's so much in the country surely that in itself is an issue that needs to be addressed you want well. joined up end-to-end systematic solutions ellie and that's crazy talk crazy <laughs> What but we no, need is a silver bullet, possibly with AI at the front of it. Who knew? Mm. Um, moving on to number five, we have Microsoft is introducing new and slightly controversial feature to Teams. Um, it is called a chat supervisor. Well, it's actually not. It's just it's chat supervisors. The ability to delete messages. Uh, this was initially aimed at protecting children. However, this message deletion feature has general availability, meaning that organizations will be able to pick it up uh, perhaps even employers feeling like their speech is being policed. Um, it does feel a little bit 1984. And I, you know, I know at our company, they actually removed the ability for us mm. to be able to delete Slack messages for almost the opposite reason, to enable people that if you've said what you've said, it stays on record in case anyone, HR needs to kind of skim back through that again. And GDPR, um, right? This person called me an idiot and created a, created a difficult environment and I'm doing a subject access request because I want all the comms around me. Absolutely. And actually, Sorry, think, we deleted it. Uh, right, absolutely. And I think if you were to ask an individual, which is why I think this concern has been raised, if you are asking an individual, they'd want that information available to them so they have that evidence to support their case. And it's not about, for us, it's not about policing us. So I think we, you know, we generally get through our day yeah. you know, using these platforms unpoliced. But if you put yourself in a vulnerable position and you're prepared to write something down, either an email or any kind of electronic form, be prepared for it to come back your way at any moment. Yeah, you, you should be prepared to stand up next to your comments. I, I guess just why? Who asked for this? It, it feel... Children were knocking on the door for I, uh, teens. I, I, I kind of get, get the kids' argument. I kind of get that because it's about a teaching medium. And I kind of get that. But for general availability, who needed this? I mean, yeah. it felt like we had this feature. Let's release it more broadly because we've got a gap in the roadmap. Did they have something in there in a messaging grid that they had to knock out and they thought we'll replace it with this? If you look at the competitor, Teams is Microsoft's response to Slack. And a lot of naive people will say, well, it's going to be Slack because it's free. It's not free. You're paying for it in the overhead cost of your Microsoft subscription purchase. If they don't have Teams, the world would be cheaper. I would also argue it's not free because it's an overlay on a load of existing products that I used to be able to directly access. And what it does is cost me time because it's slow and bad code and very clunky. But Slack, Teams isn't a response to Slack. Slack is not a collaboration tool, really. It's for you. It's to capture all the knowledge in the world. You 
can search for anything in Slack. I mean, Slack actually stands for the searchable log of all, is it conversation? And knowledge. But the, I, can't, I can never remember the C. I can never remember the C. But basically, that's why you can do a search at the top and you can search back to the beginning of your Slack instance. And yeah. that is incredibly useful. When I've been working with the guys on a solution and I wanted to know, I'd come to do some work later on. I'm like, we covered this before. I can search for a keyword. Yeah, go straight yeah. back to 2017, that conversation see it in context and pull out the bits I want, but remember why we discussed the things we did. That's mm -hmm. why in dev teams, we encourage people not to do direct messaging, but to keep everything in the channels. Um, so really it threatens Outlook more than anything, but yeah. Teams is how Microsoft have chosen to respond to it. And Teams can't do that. You can't search anywhere near as easily. It just does messaging history and archiving beyond six months or a year you just can't do that search but the point is even if you wanted to and make it a response the fact that you can delete stuff and lose the context for those discussions get rid of things that you think are no longer useful that kind of stuff yeah very dangerous it's very silly you can sanitize things after the fact it's but why what value does that add? i just i genuinely didn't understand it like no one's asking for this and actually it's going to cause a lot of problems yeah, so uh, I, I think that's a hard no from myself and Tebs. Um, on yeah, this. you work in a regulated environment, like <laughs> uh, like anywhere that needs GDPR, this is very dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's actually the end of the news. We have a couple of shout outs, the first of which is uh, popped up on my news feed um, on LinkedIn this week. I don't know if it hit yours, Tebs, but Jess Staley, the group CEO at Barclay, shared his first LinkedIn post earlier in the week. Um, and it's actually quite interesting. He's been with the company for six years, so why now? I think it's a question. But he said he'd be using the platform going forward to explain Barclays' way of thinking, like the big shifts that they're going to be taking and why those actions um, are being taken, how colleagues are thinking about the overall strategic direction of the bank. Um, so perhaps, you know, if you're interested in kind of following the financial space or innovation within the FS space, that might be an interesting person to follow going forward. I think um, it's a, I think it's a really interesting choice. I did I, it did pop up on my news feed as an ex Barclays person. Yeah, I, you liked it, and I saw it through you. That may, maybe maybe I'd, I'm not sure if I liked it. But, okay. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, the um, like, but, like a sympathetic pat on the back. <laughs> well, well done for face, that, That's right. Yeah, um, I I kind of welcomed it because I think it's interesting to get an insight into what the organization thinks the rationale is for its activity. And I think LinkedIn is a better medium for doing more thoughtful, longer form discussion than um, Twitter and stuff that might have been <laughs> yeah, more popular recently. Um, yeah. And it's seen as a more professional, probably less toxic environment than Facebook. So, you know, Facebook's where consumers are expected to engage with things. LinkedIn is where peers and commentators are. Um, so, I think I can see a lot more leaders going down this route, though. I don't think it'll just be, um, you know, Barclays doing that because it's an opportunity to do that explanation unfiltered that they maybe feel they don't get from the press. Yeah, um, yeah whether you like the individual or not, whether you like the organisation or not, I think if you want to understand how they think of themselves and the rationale they've told themselves to present policy and, and where they want to go with directions, I, I think that should be interesting and people should at least be willing to go and look at that. You, you can choose not to believe it. You can choose to do further reading around it. But actually getting some of that from the horse's mouth is useful. That's primary sources, and I would I would always be interested in that. So, yeah, I, th I thought it was interesting. I'd be interested to see how many other people go down that route because it's not really him. It's him in his role as CEO. 
And I, I think we're going to see more of that. Yeah. And that's super interesting. I think that's why, for me, this is this should be advocated because the role of the CEO has been changing for a few few years now. And Decades, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. And I think that uh, one of those um, additional qualities now is empathy, and I think that's mm. coming through a lot more. I also think within the, oh, sorry, as more businesses have become in technology businesses, there's also, I think there's so much more... What am I trying to say? So within the uh, technology industries, I think silos are mm. deemed not great for innovation, right? So the walls tend to be a little bit knocked down more perhaps than um, other industries. And I think that's more people become technology sectors. It could be that we're starting to see CEOs and C-levels go, right, actually, we're not in our own little box and we have to keep all the secrets here and we can't talk to anyone. In fact, what we could be doing is, as you said, engaging with our peers, seeing what other people are doing in the market. How can we kind of learn from them and grow from them? So if they're making mistakes or they're doing good things, we can learn from both of those and it can accelerate our own innovation. It's that evolution of, um, you know, in the old days, the company strategy was a thing you wrote in secret, kept in mm-hmm. a safe and didn't tell anyone about it. You told people bits of it, like you were carrying to Soze and just could get to the end of the year and go, the reveal, we made loads of money. Um, <laughs> but nowadays you proudly champion your, and trumpet your strategy. And I think, yeah, I think this is an evolution of that. Just what will be interesting is if they say, this is what we're going to do and this is why we're going to do it. And people explain to them i mean the below the line comments are traditionally horrible even on linkedin um if you ever go and read the stuff below any post from sadiq khan it is just shameful Uh, luckily jess daly's unlikely to experience quite that level of you know horrific feedback but they are going to get hopefully some thoughtful feedback though and where they post and say this is what we're going to do and why we're going to do it there are going to be people who are going to say, but have you considered this consequence or this might happen or that's going to leave this community underserved? If they respond to that and it genuinely creates a dialogue which results in better policy and better decisions, then I think it's to be applauded. It'll be interesting to see where it goes, but it did feel like a good first step, which I know is weird given my normal cynicism. <laughs> I think it really tunes into what digital transformation is about. And I think if a lot of these companies are going through that at the moment, it's it's a marathon, it's not a race. And I think if you're now starting to bring along your community, your customers for that journey, and you're kind of inviting them to understand why you're doing what you're doing, and actually it might take time. I think you've got more chance of, again, that retention of customers, maybe even some loyalty of new customers. So I think this is really... I use the word brave loosely. Um, again, they are putting themselves in vulnerable positions for criticism. Um, but again, hopefully, actually, some of that is constructive and they can take it forward and actually feed that back into into their company. Yeah, he didn't have to do it, right? No, it's actually 100%. Again, he's been sat quiet for six years. So it's um, there's obviously a reason why he's doing it. And I hope whatever that reason is pays off for him and Barclays. Mm. Uh, the next one up is actually um, Hitachi have released their sustainability report for 2021. And again, this is another thing we're starting to see is people are proudly not only doing the research, but obviously then sharing the findings that they've um, kind of pulled together and making sure they're holding themselves to account by publicly putting a flag in the ground saying this is what we're going to do by X date. Um, the report is a whopping 189 pages long um, and it goes into everything from social, environmental, governance, management. Um, all that kind of fun stuff. So it is, if you have time and you want a cup of tea and some light reading for bed, it could be your uh, your piece to go to. Um, we have to declare an interest, right? Because we are owned by Hitachi. So, um, but, you know, um, I'm kind of proud to say that given their credentials in this space. And actually there's, um, there's a theme with Japanese companies, some German companies, that kind of thing around 
longevity of the business um mm. those concepts concepts like stewardship and stuff they take it really seriously and i think i think you can see that in their um sponsorship of the cop events this is it this weekend or next week anyway coming up any second now yeah. november right yeah so um you know you can see that so yeah i think it will be an interesting read and because i'm me i might read it yeah it's interesting though as well and i think what's super important about this stuff is especially there's been a lot of reports this week of um leaks from cop 26 obviously we're in the lead up to that but some suggestions that japan australia and saudi arabia are asking the UN to water down the need to move away from fossil fuels like oil and coal um, pretty much as soon as possible. And I think that kind of information is quite scary because I think there's a lot of hope in the world that we were making progress forward. And then to suddenly see these giants turn around and be like, well, actually, can we just kind of pull back a little bit and um, dilute the urgency of this? You know, you've also got um, Brazil, Brazil and Argentina looking at like... I think you've got to ask yourself what's the motivation for the leak. Are they testing the water to see if the backlash is too strong and they can get away with it? Or is it someone going, I'm going to leak this so that they know they can't put it up there? Let's but, hope so. Yeah, yeah. Because this is the thing, I, I've seen people basically boycott the COP26, saying if this is the, the response we're going to have there, mm-hmm. why are people bothering to go? You know, if they're just going to water down the fire, like what, what, what are we doing there? Um, and so I think actually seeing people like Hitachi, global brands, mm-hmm. put, like, making their pledges independent perhaps of, you know, what others are doing at um, COP26. Yeah. I think it's super valuable and important to see there are leaders in this who are committed, um, even where others may be showing that they're not. We are at a breaking point, though. It yeah. can't be said enough. It should be said everywhere. It should be said by everyone. We get this right in the next 10 years or pretty much every dystopian film we've seen for decades is going to be the new normal. And it's it's that stark. So stop messing about because it's going to be possibly having a negative impact on shareholder value. I'll tell you now, I invest in green funds. My portfolio is looking great. Just make some sensible investments. I mean, ultimately, we've got to stop messing about. You, you know that. I know that. Turns out the vast majority of people know that environmental policies are incredibly popular, even in countries like the US and Australia. Joe Average on the street likes it. Politicians sit there rationalising to themselves, well, I've got to think of the bigger picture. It's like there's a point at which we're all sat there going, you're talking about lobbyists and you're talking about companies that pay you. You're so out of step with your own populations. You can talk about sets of the economy that generate revenue and all sorts of stuff. And you've got to think companies don't have votes for a very good reason. There are a big chunk of people out there who can see the cliff we're about to go off. Stop prevaricating. Mm. Everyone also, needs to say it. Yeah. yeah. Start looking at creative solutions. This is what's really frustrating. So, like Argentina and Brazil have turned around and been like, oh, can we actually reduce um, the views, the scientific views around eating less meat and the, like, how that can help affect like, greenhouse gas emissions? Mm. Because guess what? They are the largest beef, beef producers in the world. And yeah. it's like, okay, great. That's, you are at the moment. What else could you be doing? Like, If this becomes a thing and we actually need to start reducing our beef intake, what else can you do? And I think people are so stuck in the now and basically always dependent on what always has been. They, they forget to look actually what else, how else can we evolve the, and uh, become part of the future state. There's large chunks. Being an economy that's reliant on things like beef exports or coal exports, is yeah. not a great economy to be in. No. Reduce reduce the output, probably increase the price, have a more stable economy. There is a reason Australia has so little inward investment. 
And one of the main reasons is that is an economy that is just hung. Their, their currency is pegged to the price of things like coal. Those, those kinds of primary exports are a bad idea for a developed economy. If the coal price changes, their, their currency changes. I don't want to invest in a country that I might make a profit in that country, but when I come to take the money out, I've got to check what the price of coal is to see whether I'm going to make a profit on the exchange rate when I bring the money back out. Yeah. That is why they get no investment. Brazil and Argentina not typically acknowledged for being very solid economies. We have a huge development shop in Argentina doing cutting-edge work for banks in the US and Europe amazing development capability great industry leading thinking on banking but their government every day of the week will prioritize a bunch of vested interests around things like farming and stuff we were talking before some problems are just problems this is you're right one where it's an opportunity do better you can do better all those countries can do better but they've got vested interests who they're comfortable going to dinner with and yeah. they're the guys that are dictating policy no one else is on board with it it's not difficult people will vote for these policies you want to look after your re-election put yeah. some green policies through they're vastly more popular than they're unpopular it is just screaming into the void dealing with these people <laughs> anyway yeah so so really looking forward to the next decade and investing wellies yeah Absolutely. Mm. Last but not least, less than a week to go now until the next Devil's Playground, which is taking place on the 27th of October at 6pm. No, 28th of October. Yeah. 28th of October at 6pm. Um, it'll be hosted in our office. This will be our first live event since February 2020 and our first hybrid event ever. Um, hosting this month is Ondat. They're a Kubernetes native platform for running stateful applications and previously known as Storage OS. We've been partners with them for a little while now. Um, it promises to be an absolute corker. There's lots going to be loads of free pizza if you're joining us in London. Um, we're going to have the hands-on tech support, which will be available whether you're in person or joining us virtually. Um, yeah, it's just going to be a really, really great evening. I was there for the dry run last week. They set up the office. How we'll have it set up on the night because we yeah. used to do that. We do that anyway as prep work just to have a dress rehearsal but doing it for the first time in this space it was amazing to see the way they were using the space what they were doing with it it was great watching the projector go up the screen go out and it was like oh this is going to be real yeah it's, yeah, happening. it's happening again very exciting and we'd also like to note that there are we understand people are concerned about the times we are in so just to know that you know we have a massive office space and we're doing everything we can to make sure that is as covid secure as we can there'll be opportunity for you to sit as far away from other people as you feel comfortable so we have taken measures to make sure that anyone who does join us in person will be looked after on the night and be able to enjoy the evening in ways that again you make you feel comfortable so um, we really hope that doesn't stop you from coming along if you'd like to come and like you said it's hybrid if you still want to participate and not come into the office then you know you you'll be valued and you'll be supported yeah 100 um that's it that is everything from myself and tebs we hope you've had a well enjoyed as much as we did and we look forward to catching up next week with more tech news take care cheerio